Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to our fourth and, as of right now, our final installment in our Men in Black retrospective series. Today we are reviewing Men in Black International. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan in Chicago. And I gotta say that I'm surprised we are reviewing a fourth film because it's been... Oh, gee, how long has it been since the third movie? There was a huge gap between two and three, and then quite another large gap between three and four. And with four, they went for the whole reboot. Right, yeah. And it's kind of also interesting because they kind of had a soft reboot with number three when they released it in 2012, but it was also like a reboot slash um, sequel, uh, which I did end up up watching three. this last week just to also prepare for this oh, this yeah. review so yeah it was kind of interesting to see this re- being rebooted again um but no more than a few years after it had kind of i guess technically been rebooted with uh with the original at least the original cast so yeah yeah i i am like i said somewhat surprised that they are bringing it back but then at the same time the first three films were very profitable for them financially, and right. it has a lot of staying power in the cultural zeitgeist, all growing up and, well, even now still, people have not forgotten Men in Black. That's always been kind of a fun property people have always referenced. And now that we have reviewed the previous three films, listeners, if you haven't heard those reviews, definitely go back into the archives and check those out over on our podcast page, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're at it, listeners, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts on because we will be coming back next week doing the rest of our M. Night Shyamalan reviews with Lady in the Water. And of course, you can always follow us through Facebook and Twitter. And if you do want to be so kind as to financially support us, help keep the lights on here, give you a great experience at Silver Screen Guide. It just keeps getting better. Then head on over to our Patreon page where we have all kinds of stuff, starting for the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee, our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, movie commentaries, Q&As, and of course, bonus reviews for you. All of that's there. Don't forget to uh, share that as well so we can grow that Silver Screen Guide community. But yeah, as I was saying, Men in Black International, it's really had that staying power in the culture. So it makes sense that they probably gave it enough breathing room after Men in Black 3, which if I'm not mistaken, was fairly profitable, I think. I don't know. Go back and listen to whatever I said in the review of that. And so they probably thought, hey, now could be a good time to rebuke it. And of course, they're going to get a cast, uh, two main characters that I thought worked pretty well together in Thor Ragnarok. That's right. Yeah. The main cast of this is also the main cast in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, but yeah, they've got, or this, this all came about in 2018. They announced this, that Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, uh, both which were in Ragnarok, uh, but also Liam Neeson and Kumal Nanijani uh, and F. Gary Gary for director. Uh, they were all announced to be on the project. 
Uh, and then, of course, Agent O, Emma Thompson, was also coming back, uh, reprising her role from, at, I think it's at least tran- uh, Transformers, Men in Black 3. <laughs> I don't believe she was in the other two Men in Black movies, though. Uh, no. Okay, that's what I, I was That's what I was thinking when I was watching it. I just didn't remember. No, but that is one thing that does always bug me in movies where they introduce a character in, like, the third film, mm-hmm. and you've never even heard of this character, yet they're incredibly important, and supposedly they have been there the whole time because right. we saw right. a younger version of her character in the, in the uh, old sequences in Men in Black 3. Right, that's right. Well, some more background info real quick. Uh, things were pretty much fine. Um, filming began in July of 2018, ended in October. Um, everything was pretty much fine. You got Danny Elfman and Chris Bacon doing the music, mainly just Danny Elfman composing. A um, few producers, one of which uh, his name is Walter F. Parks, who's done the producing role of pretty much every Men in Black movie, along with Steven Spielberg. He was the executive producer. Everything was pretty much fine up until mm, one of the executive producers also on the project that was kind of in charge of this whole thing, uh, who was representing Sony, uh, decided to just walk out on the project and wasn't replaced, which caused uh, director Gary here and uh, Walter Parks, the producer, to kind of butt heads a lot, um, which kind of also ended in a few creative decisions that were that were done by uh, Parks that because he had the final say in the project that uh, Gary didn't really want to have to happen. Um, so there was an original script. It was going to deal more with like socio-political uh, immigration kind of thematic ideas. That that was what originally got Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson on board. Uh, but that that changed. Parks got involved and kind of rewrote a few things and removed a lot of that stuff. So it was more like the movie that we saw now. Um that original script was also going to have a villain that was akin to the Beatles in it. That would that were there were four different alien, there were four aliens, and then at the end, in the climax, they would all become one alien. But what? because Parks changed, yeah, that was the original script. Uh, I don't really know what they were all what exactly they were going to do with that outside mm-hmm. of exploring what uh, the that thematic potential of uh, immigration. What? So yeah, so then. Um, so yeah, Parks removed a bunch of stuff from the script, like I mentioned, and even took on some directing duties as well. And at one point, director Gary decided that he didn't want to be in the project anymore and what? tried to exit, but oh, Sony gosh. convinced him to stay. Uh, so when this movie was released, there were two cuts. There was the F. Gary Gary cut and the Walter Parks cut. Uh, they tested them both. And Walter Parks's cut is the one that we see that was theatrical re- theatrically released. Hmm. Um, so F. Gary Gary kind of sounds like he got the short end of the staff uh, on this project because it uh, sounds like Parks, who de- does seem to have, uh, I guess, more power in this situation, at least in this project, um, kind of sounds like he got the short end of the stick and got... Uh, was I guess his dream or whatever job he was wanting to do didn't come to fruition, and what what ended up being uh, this ended up being kind of more Parks's project than F. Gary Gary's project, I guess. Do we know why Barry Sonnenfeld didn't come back for the fourth film? I don't know. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Sony wasn't a part of the original Men in Black series. So it's possible that it could have been just a rights thing 
where now Sony owns the Men in Black rights, so they didn't have the original director come back for it. Mm. I didn't find any information as to why Sonnenfeld didn't return for this new iteration. Did you say Steven Spielberg was like still producing? Yes, yeah, he was a, he's been executive producer for all the Men in Black movies. Right, because Amblin Entertainment is his production company. Right. And they do right. all the films. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah yep. It's kind of a weird history of who's attached to this project and who's not. Right. Because that's why I was thinking, because I remember with Barry Sonnenfeld, they didn't like him. I don't think anybody really liked him, especially Will Smith and him were always butting heads. And Will Smith was trying to change things and he didn't like it. So he was kind of being a drama queen. And so mm -hmm. a lot of the drama queen tendencies you were telling me about this F. Gary guy sound very similar to previous directorial tendencies. So that's why, I don't know. I don't know what it is with the Men in Black series, but apparently you get to be a real hot shot if you're in charge of it. I, I guess. guess so. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it. So originally this was going to be released on May 17th. It was then pushed back to June, the June 14th. Oh, I wow. don't really know why. I tried I to look up that. information and I didn't really find too much outside of people saying that it's been pushed back. Um, get this. Uh, so the budget of the movie was anywhere between 94 and 110 million, right? Yes, too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Sony spent 120 million on advertising alone. And okay. supposedly that's on the lower end of a movie of, of this caliber. Um, so in reality, yes, the budget was 110 million at the top, uh, but it was double that and then some because of marketing. So from what I've read, apparently they would have had to have made over $300 million in the box office just to break even, um, which is a lot of money. Um, now, for oh, like yeah. a movie like Marvel, that's 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 nothing too major to do. That's that's pretty easy for them to break that much money their opening weekend. Sure. Um, however, Men in Black International had a bit of an interesting opening weekend. Uh, it made thirty million in the box ah. office, which a, a is real winner. yeah, which is if for those who are counting a tenth of the price of no, yeah, I guess a tenth of what they was should have been making to break even because they needed three hundred million. So yeah, um, opening weekend thirty million uh, domestically in total. They grossed pretty close to eighty million. It was seventy nine point eight foreign, one hundred seventy three point nine, with a worldwide total of two hundred fifty three point seven million dollars when it was all said and done. Which, like I mentioned earlier, it didn't even break even for them. It didn't even break even, and nevertheless, domestically, it's considered a failure because yep. it couldn't even get its budget back here in the states. Right. Usually you want the budget back budget back in the first opening weekend, but this didn't get its budget back at all in its entire theatrical run, at least domestically. So, yeah. You know, I could understand why Sony was putting so much into marketing because like we had just mentioned, the third it had been quite a while since the third film. I believe it came out in 2012. So it's been mm -hmm. about seven years. And even then they had a real uphill battle at the box office for that film as well, trying to get people to come back to a franchise that I don't think had a sequel to it for the past 10 years. So I can yeah. understand why they poured a lot into the marketing and not to mention, I think at that point, regardless of how well these films had done, I think worldwide, 
it was a billion dollar franchise. I'm looking at the numbers here on Box, box Office Mojo. So the first three films combined together clearly did very well. I could see why they did it with that. And I remember seeing a lot of trailers for this film. And yeah, so do I. They got me excited because I was assuming it was going to be a team up between Liam Neeson and Chris Hemsworth. I was on board for that. I don't, that's not really true how it, how it comes out in the movie. Yeah. Um, and, but then when I did see Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, I thought they had great chemistry and Thor Ragnarok. So I said, okay, I'm definitely on board for this as well. So when I was watching these trailers, they gave me a lot of hope that this could be the best Men in Black film we've ever gotten. And it did get me excited and wanting to get into the theater to see the film. Do you, you remember the rea reaction you had to the trailers? Ooh, um, I do remember seeing a trailer for it. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what the trailer was or what my reaction was, but uh, at the time, I knew what Men in Black was, but I had not watched a Men in Black movie at at least then. Um, now that I've that we've uh, when watched the entire uh, retrospective, I've now seen them all. Uh, but even then, I wasn't too big on Men in Black for what uh, I guess it's pretty obvious. Um, and so when I saw the trailer for this, I don't remember ever really being super excited about it. I mm -hmm. knew that it was the cast of Thor Ragnarok, but that was really about it. And being a guy who's not really into superhero movies in the first place, it didn't really cross my mind to really want to go see it. So as far as I remember, uh, I don't really remember having too much of a reaction outside of, oh yeah, that's a movie that's gonna be happening. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, according to Cinema Score, it was actually not as well received as the previous three films. That's right. Yeah. Cinema Score was a B, which is interesting. I actually looked up when I typed in Men in Black, uh, the other Men in Black movies are around the B range. I believe they're closer to the B pluses. Yeah. They all three have a B plus. Yeah. So it's a little bit lower, which uh, even for CinemaScore, a straight B is pretty low. Um, but yeah, it's lower than the other movies in the series, uh, and which is a bit interesting to me. But I, after seeing it, I can kind of understand why. And now knowing some of the backstory with uh, the drama that happened with uh, the director and the producer, I can also kind of understand where I think this movie kind of went wrong. Is it safe to say that critics kind of hated this film? Oh, yeah. Uh, I see a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 38% <laughs> on Metascore. That's bad. Ooh, that's really bad. Metascore. Yeah, that's clear. That's a that's a hard red. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a big no. I'm really surprised it was that low. Mm -hmm. And when you compare it to the rest of the series, it's... Uh, clearly the lowest. The only other one that came close was Men in Black 2, but that was 39%. Also, something interesting here, too, is the audience score for Rotten Tomatoes is 66%, which is a, a bit higher uh, than actually I was expecting it to be. But IMDb of 5.6 and a Letterboxd score of 2.5. Letterboxd is right down the middle. IMDb is lower than what we would consider average, which is usually about 6.5. Wait, uh, did you say IMDb had a 5.6? Yes. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, that's, like I said, usually you want about a 6.5 to be considered about, about middle of the road for IMDb. Uh, yep. This is a 5.6, which is below that. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. below average. Yeah. 
So I can't, I'm not going to give away just yet what I think of this movie, but clearly a majority of people find this to be a very bad film. Oh, yeah. And even the its theatrical run, just by looking at what place it came in and then seeing the weeks after that, kind of paint that same picture because it came out number one. Uh, but its opening weekend was the lowest opening weekend for the series. Next week on week two, it dropped down to number five. Oh, ouch. Yeah. And then the week after that, week three went down to number seven. Now, to be fair, uh, week two, Toy Story 4 had its first week in the theaters. <laughs> So that's, I'm sure, part of the reason why it was pushed out of the number one spot. Uh, but yeah, it kind of came out, especially at a time, because I, I think Spider-Man Far From Home came out no longer than a it, couple it, weeks after it was releasing. Toys Story 4, like I just mentioned. Uh, it was a big summer. Pets. Yeah, oh yeah, it's a big summer. It came out at a really busy time as well. So I'm sure that didn't help either uh, with a movie that is already from what we're seeing here rather poor in quality and then also releasing along alongside these pretty big names like toy story and a and spider-man so yeah it's theatrical run looks not so great yeah to me that seems fairly pretentious to position this as a big summer blockbuster when it yeah. probably had no business being that way so i don't know if it would have done better or worse if they would have changed the release date maybe to an early fall maybe like what if it came out more so around now when there's like really nothing coming out at the moment i think it could have done right. a little better but positioned between summer and the christmas rush i'm not sure but to nevertheless to put it there up against uh big disney juggernauts i don't it's not a smart idea yeah, and it sounds like, uh, at least from what I'm seeing here as well, it looks like Sony was pretty confident in this picture. I mean, they spent a bunch oh, yeah. of money on marketing. Um, they It's clear that, I mean, Men in Black is still relatively popular. So I'm guessing Sony was expecting it to do really, really well compared to what they actually got, uh, which we've, we just talked about is nothing too great. They definitely lost money on this project. And if I had to guess, I'm thinking the Men in Black franchise is probably done unless we get another reboot in 10 years. But at that point, I'm guessing it will have been too far out of the cultural zeitgeist unless we have some really weird team up, maybe. Maybe Will Smith and Tommy mm -hmm. Lee Jones will come back for Men in Black 5 or they'll experience some kind of resurgence in popularity. I don't know, but especially with... Um, everything after the first one, honestly, kind of left a sour taste in people's mouths, especially with the recycled plots every single time. So, yeah. I mean, everybody's memory on this franchise in the coming years will just have be a sour one and one they're probably not looking forward to return to. So I say if we ever get anything with this film, it'll be like what they're going to do with the new Ghostbusters movie and bring back the original cast. but many years later. Right, right. So as far as I'm aware, there aren't any talks or any talks that I've seen that of them doing anything else with Men in Black. I'm sure they'll do something with it. It's def at least with the first one, it's definitely a 90s property. Um, I guess time will tell if what else we'll get out of the Men in Black series, but I don't see any sequels to this one coming out anytime soon. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Men in Black International and you don't want the film spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film. 
come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about all of the juicy spoilers. Okay, summary time. Men in Black International opens with Agent H, played by Chris Hemsworth, and Agent T, played by Liam Neeson, stopping at the Eiffel Tower to take care of an enemy known as the Hive. Flashbackward in time about 20 years before this incident, we are now introduced to Molly Wright, played by Tessa Thompson, or later played by Tessa Thompson, witnessing her parents getting neuralized and aiding a baby alien's escape. A situation that aids her curiosity for years until she sneaks her way into the MIB HQ after years of research. She successfully convinces Agent O, played by the same the same Agent O from Men in Black 3, to allow the new Agent M uh, to become an agent for the M Men in Black. Her first assignment is in London, under T's jurisdiction. Agent M also meets Agent H, who has since been developed a god complex since his run-in with the Hive a few years early a few years earlier. M convinces H to allow her to come with him on a mission to visit an alien named Vungus and to hopefully prevent his race from blowing up the Earth. Unfortunately, a couple of other aliens, I'll call them the Dude Bros, because I don't really know what they're called, um, who have the ability to manifest pure energy, attempt to kill Vungus. H and M hold, out, hold them off until backup arrives. M is given a gift from the dying Vungus who says, H has changed, alluding to the fact that H can no longer be, tr no longer be trusted. The Dude Bros manage to escape, almost costing Agent M and H their jobs. H&M then follow a lead to Marrakesh and save Pani, voiced by Kumal Nani Jani, who's, last, who's the last remaining member of his race after, they've, after everybody else has been killed by the Dude Bros earlier in the movie. However, more Men in Black agents show up to take out H&M by the aid of Agent C, um, H's rival. Receiving information, who had received information about a gift that Vungus gave M, believing that the believing that these two agents are actually moles of the MIB, a suspicion that's been growing upon the MIB, especially within these few characters uh, in the last few days. The agents are able to escape with the help of Nassar and Bassam, leading them a lending them a rocket-powered bike. Unfortunately, they end up in a desert. Curious to see what Vungus's gift does, the two fool around with what with what they discover is actually a weapon that harnesses the power of a blue giant. Later that night, Bassam steals the weapon and re to return it to Riza Stavros, an alien arms dealer and H's ex-girlfriend. The agents head to her island with H as bait while M retrieves the weapon, but the two are caught and Riza orders her bodyguard to kill H and M. However, M realizes that the bodyguard is actually the same alien that she rescued earlier before and says some kind of phrase that he mentioned to her and apparently it means something like he'll kill any person that any one person that you f so say. Anyways, that's what happens and they are able to escape. But before they can leave the island, the dude bros arrive once again, but are killed by a savior known as High T, um, also played by Liam Neeson. It's discovered that the dude bros were trying to get the weapon from Vungus and had to fight against the hive from their own planet. Uh, it is also discovered that High T did not return the weapon to evidence. C then realizes that the mole in MIB couldn't have been H or M, or even himself, but T. H and M head to the Eiffel Tower to stop T, come to find out T was taken over by the Hive back in 2016 and had neuralized H. He spent the rest of this time trying to find and destroy Vungus's weapon and open a wormhole that exists, that exists in the Eiffel Tower to bring the Hive to Earth. After a skirmish, M gets the weapon and from T and blasts T, the Hive, and the wormhole to bits, saving the planet. With the Hive destroyed, Agent O grants M full agent status and H probationary head of the London branch. It is said that Agent M remain good friends to this day and credits roll. When you kept saying H&M throughout the whole thing, all I could think of was the popular women's clothing store H&M. 
Yeah, uh, that was. I was thinking that too because there are multiple points where <laughs> both of them, both of them are in the exact same situation. So I said H and M, and also made me think of that same store. Well, full disclosure, listeners, I shut this off about thirty minutes into it, so <laughs> I learned a lot of new things about the rest of this plot, and. I don't want to start off negative. I want to give a movie some kind of positive. So the positive that I'll give this movie is I think Chris Hemsworth can be fairly funny. He does play comedic roles before. So his kind of jokes and banter, I think he works well with what he's given. Like he does probably his best job. And I appreciate that he is here to... He's not just, I don't think he's phoning it in. I think he's really here to try and make it a better movie. Yeah, it really doesn't feel like neither of these actors are just, like you said, phoning it in here. Uh, it feels like they're trying at least a little bit. Um, I think that they're trying, but I also don't think that Tessa Thompson is necessarily a character that I end up liking in the end. However, in terms of good, I think that, yeah, I think Chris Hensworth does does do a pretty good job here and isn't like just trying to get it done. Um, and those, the two of them do have some pretty good chemistry as well. And like I said, when I did watch the trailers for this movie, I was very excited about it. So I really wanted to give it a honest shot. And we did. I watched it with my girlfriend and we had previously together watched all of the Men in Black films for the first time. And so we did come to this film and I think I got it free from Redbox, which I think I paid 25 cents, so I really feel good about that. <laughs> yeah, you didn't waste too much money. I really didn't, but the movie, and one of my complaints with the previous three films is they have a very much recycled plot where they have this ridiculously weak villain. There's always some kind of MacGuffin they have to go after, and it kind of ends with a big battle. It's just very rote. And I could already see the seeds of that being planted in this movie. I would say my biggest criticism for this movie is how, uh, well, I guess I have two major criticisms, but my first one that I'll just bring up is how awful this film is edited. There really doesn't feel to be much coherence between like flashbacks or even stitching characters together, weaving character arcs and introducing characters properly and actually investing us. I found the editing to be so sloppy that, and I'm no slouch when it comes to being able to follow a movie. Usually I can pick up on the story patterns and what they're doing. But I mean, I looked at my girlfriend and I'm, and I'm like, what is even going on in this movie? And she's like, I, I don't know. I can't really tell you what the purpose of what's going on. I just was really shocked at how, I guess, poorly edited the film is. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I think the biggest, probably the most, the biggest example I can think of right off the top of my head is the opening. Uh, the opening, yeah. they begin in 2016 where Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> Chris Hemsworth and Liam Neeson fight the hive, right? Then they jump back 20 years and talk and introduce our new, our main character and how, uh, and introduced this idea of maybe she's curious about the MIB because her parents just got neuralized or whatever. And then it goes back to present day. Yeah. Uh, it starts from there and builds from from what we just saw. And I'm just wondering, okay, well, why not just start 20 years ago and then move to Liam Deeson and Chris Hemsworth and then move to present day? I think what's going on here is Chris Hemsworth and Liam Deeson are two huge names in Hollywood. So they want to begin with them. 
and then move on to them later uh, after introducing our main character. But I don't think that the editing, at least in this opening, and like you just mentioned, kind of throughout this movie in general, is also not that good. It's pretty, pretty bad, in, especially in the grand scheme of things. This is just one example that I can give right off the bat. And having this very disjointed editing is, I would say, probably the best word that I would use, already weakens how you're going to introduce characters because these are all brand new characters. We're not really familiar with any of them. We understand, if you've seen the previous three films, you understand the premise of The Men in Black, but we don't understand these characters, and we really don't know anything about them. And I was just honestly shocked at how lackluster everything was. Usually Men in Black movies, and maybe this is due to Will Smith being a pretty good comedian and having a lot of on-screen charisma and then playing off the really dry Tommy Lee Jones. These characters have nothing about them, especially within the first act to really make them stand out. And then Tessa Thompson's character is brought into the men in black so easily and so quickly and everything, it just feels so sloppy and half slapped together that I'm questioning. That's why at the 30 minute mark, I'm thinking, Nobody really cares about this movie, like the creators and writers and editors. These storytellers aren't trying their best to invest me. And if they are, then they probably shouldn't even be making movies. If they're doing that, then why should I care about these characters? Right. And I think the biggest thing for me, too, is kind of stemming off of what you were just saying. The character, everything just kind of feels like it's half done here. Um, Especially when it gets to the main character, I found her to be rather annoying. Uh, especially in this opening. And it raises a lot of questions here too. Like has no one just walked right into the men in black or have figured out that, wait a minute, these men or these people in black suits that have to go around flashing people. Um, maybe that's kind of... Neuralizing. Yeah, okay. Neuralizing people, yes. <laughs> I guess I probably should, iter- uh, should explain myself. But... <laughs> Is that not raise any kind of suspicion? Has there really not been ever been a person in the entire existence existence of the men in black um, that has figured out, hey, wait a minute, who are these people and tried to launch some kind of personal investigation against them up until now? Also, they hire her on the spot because she walks in and somehow proves to Agent O that she knows something or whatever. And that's what that's what gets her to job. It it raises a lot of questions as to really just the validity of the men in black and especially their security because she kind of just walks right in um, and gets to see everything. So I don't know. It just, it raises a lot of questions and kind of going back to the editing, part of the reason why I ended up really, this movie being really sour for me is because this movie, especially being um, a very, very American movie um, and me kind of not really, really into that kind of a thing. It's, it felt, especially once I got towards the end on the second time around when I watched this movie, um, it got really boring really fast. Uh, and so, especially with my first watching, I found this would just be kind of boring. And that's probably because probably because of the editing and probably because of these main characters. These characters don't really have much weight to them, like, at all. It comes off to me like uh, they're playing to the lowest common denominator here. Like, they've made these characters to be very general so everyone can relate to them more or less, but it's so general that it doesn't really make any kind of a, of a, a compelling character. 
Yeah, and I just really got this feeling of paint by numbers. Oh, yeah. They really weren't trying to do anything unique. And as I was saying, as we're just journeying into this film, I found it just to be so rote, just so bland. And I thought, this is not how you tell a story. You, I mean, as a writer, you're supposed to show, not tell. Right. That means don't just write it down on the page and give them this like very dry procedural about what is going on. You're supposed to really conjure up this mental image and make it exciting and feel like you're really there into the story. This felt the exact opposite of that. And they're just like, okay, here's an establishing shot. Okay, character moments are done within the first five minutes, right? People, okay, people get it now. Um, okay, she somehow uses her phone or whatever to track the the comet and it's actually an alien and she mm -hmm. looks through the fence and I'm like, gosh, this is just way too easy as you were saying. And I, I was just very unimpressed with it. Not to mention the previous Men in Black films have at least tried to make things exciting. Yeah. Whereas did you ever find this film to be really exciting? Uh, not really. And that's but once again, probably just because of the paid by numbers, everything in this movie, um, it, especially the action set pieces that are supposed to be really fun. Once again, were just boring to me because I've seen this who knows how many dozens of times, especially now that we have a Mar that we have Marvel uh, making movies off pretty much on a yearly basis. It feels like I've seen this so many times before that I'm beginning to lose interest super fast. Oh, absolutely. And I'll be honest, listeners, like I said, 30 minutes in, it was right after that funny guy from the club died. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and she realizes who that is or he's got something and we got these really dumb bros, you said. Yeah, the dude bros. Are, the dude bros. They're like <laughs> dancing up in the club and I'm yeah. like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea why that, that was just weird. I have no idea where that came from. Yeah. So at that point, it, okay, it was, it was like kind of my bedtime. We were both very tired and we had the opportunity to finish it the next day. And we were both like, we really don't care to invest any more of our lives in this story. I couldn't even follow it. It didn't hook me. It didn't pull me in. So yeah. I shut it off and I'm not, and I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I only stuck through it the first time just because I was just, I was just curious to know where exactly this was going to go. And as you, as you probably heard in the, uh, in the summary, Liam Neeson turns out to be the bad guy. Uh, uh. Another big criticism from me at no point in the story up until literally the last 30 minutes, uh, is there really anything that kind of maybe hints that Liam Neeson is going to be the bad guy? We know that there is some kind of mold in the MIB. That's one of the main, uh, one of the main journeys or one of the main uh, curiosities in this in this movie. Uh, but it kind of jumps around from being Agent C mostly for the audience's sake to Agents H and M for Agent C's sake. But it never, never once is there anybody who questions uh, High T. And never once does High T ever come out and. Even even just to the audience, kind of going to give a hint that maybe there's something more sinister to uh, to high T. It comes out as just, oh yeah, here how we can make this exciting. But upon a second watching, I'm just like, yeah, at no point does anything hint to him being a part of this uh, a part of the uh, antagonist scene. 
And that's also a little difficult to have, once again, the audiences even care if Liam Neeson was the bad guy, because from what I saw, there really was barely any establishment of his character. And not to mention, he's a brand new character. So why, I mean, there's just not enough there to really warrant or justify him being the bad guy. And even if he is, it's ultimately, it's it's like, who cares? Right. What what defines him as being really special? There has to be some immense betrayal felt between the two characters, even if they are brand new characters, I would say. Right. To really drive home the point. And from what I'm guessing, from what you're saying, there isn't this kind of um, loss or kind of tragedy felt within the circumstance. Yeah, pretty much no, because we find out that um, Liam Hemsworth, Agent M, uh, he had his memory neuralized at this moment once uh when they went to fight the hive liam neeson was taken over by the hive and then liam neeson neuralized agent h right he still knows that he did something in this moment but he's just kind of repeating this line of oh yeah we did this one thing and i did this one thing with just this weapon and that's really all he remembers and so later on when uh agent h when agent 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 m asks him to kind of go deeper into what exactly happened that night he can't really recall um and then that's when we find out that oh no he was neuralized but that isn't until literally the last half an hour of the movie so it's it's just kind of a twist that's there that really makes no sense and has really no reason to be there uh this is also kind of one of the main things of this movie is it's more mib centric but once again, that doesn't really work out very well. The other movies weren't as MIB-centric as this one is. Also, the other problem, I guess, with neuralization is that really also takes away from any emotional impact that could be felt. Because if you have a character that doesn't remember anything, therefore he doesn't really have any strong attachments that he seemed to have formed, or he's clueless himself, and the audience is clueless as well. How are we really going to feel for him? I mean, they they did it well with the Jason Bourne series because after three movies, he's slowly recovering his memory and unearthing right. all of these kind of horrible things. And we experienced that with him. But to kind of pull the rug out from under us, especially after barely any character establishment or connection to really make us care. And there's no revelation along the way. Like you said, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Then I would say that just, I, I would say that cheapens it or feels a little too contrived and they're like, Oh, this will be a cool twist, but right. You got to invest us first. Right. Yeah. It's, I think that's probably what the issue you and I are getting into is uh, we were never invested from the beginning um, there was, and I think you may have even mentioned this earlier, there was never that hook that really got us like solidly into the story. I never felt that in this movie. I felt like the, if it, it felt like once again, this is paint by the numbers. This is make things rather cliche instead of let's make more of an original story. To be fair, the men in black series has never really been anything I've been super invested in to begin with. Um, so that's all I think also maybe even part of the issue is coming into this move, new movie. I don't really care in the first place and where I'm just doing it. I wouldn't I don't think I would have seen this movie had we not done a retrospective on it. Yeah, I think it is interesting to see how it's developed over time through the culture and people's like what they've thought of the series and how the movies 
premises really haven't changed over time. But yeah, coming to this film and coming to that head where they really didn't, I feel like they really didn't try. They didn't give it their best. To me, this feels more so like a cash grab of anything is trying to capitalize off of the box office success of the previous ones. So it definitely didn't feel like they put their best writers or team on it, which is disappointing because I think they could have done something more interesting if they would have tried, especially with the talent involved. Yeah. And I feel like you could bring back the men in black and do something a bit more smart with it that they haven't done before, but there really wasn't much here. They do. Okay. They do do some, um, exploration of the men in black and like the world of these aliens. And I, that is another positive I can probably give some of these aliens designs and ideas about these aliens are kind of, kind of interesting. Um, and they do explore more of the men in black, the inner workings of it. Um, that is somewhat interesting because we really never got that in the original, the other three movies we kind of did, but never really sat down to explore it. So they do do that here. But once again, I don't really care. <laughs> so it's it's all, it's kind of unfortunate that some of the good things that are in this movie, which I, again, admittedly are not a lot, um, aren't in a much better picture in the grand scheme of the of the actual movie. Are we ready for recommendations? Yeah, I guess so. Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Men in Black International? I think the best way that I can explain this movie, at least my inner thoughts of it, is the phrase, this movie is forced fun. It tries really, really hard to be a very fun adventure. And in some ways, it doesn't, it's not all bad. It does have some pretty, it has, it has some all right ideas. I mentioned the design, some of the designs of the aliens are pretty all right. The chemistry between the two main characters is pretty all right. Uh, I do like that they still explore this idea of the the men in black as a or a corporation. I like that idea. The and I like the ending that H and M don't actually fall in love. Although that at that point it's also be kind of become more of a cliche. But still, I like that. But there is so much thing, so many things I don't like about this movie. Namely, pretty much anything else. Uh, we end up, and you never got to this point, I don't think, Corbin. But we do end up getting a sidekick for the story that, you know, your typical uh, Disney sidekick, and he does absolutely nothing. Um, the other characters, the main character, I think, is probably my my least favorite aspect of this movie. She's just, to me, just kind of annoying. So overall, I don't really care. This movie feels like it was trying really hard to be fun and just wasn't because it didn't really flow very organically into what it was, what it, its ambition actually was. So at the end of the day, no, I don't think I can recommend this movie. I don't think it's anything really that good. And it's also very American, which I'm already kind of not kind of predisposed to not really think, not really want to go out and watch it. That being said, I'm landing on a three out of 10. Once again, not recommend. What a bland, pointless reboot. The storytellers have no clue how to create excitement intrigue or even introduce characters chris hemsworth has funny lines but other than that it's incredibly bland and disjointed oftentimes i told my girlfriend i have no idea what's going on plot scenes are 
well, honestly, I'm not really sure what the plot actually is. I mean, of course, Alan told me, but then again, you have to just think, what kind of a plot is this movie? Just a stupid movie all around. One definitely not worth your time. As I said, my girlfriend and I, we didn't even finish it. It's definitely an automatic 4 out of 10. Solid not recommend. Well, like I mentioned, uh, no idea if there's if Men in Black is ever going to return. So I hope not. I really hope not. Again, I, I don't see one. anything really that special with the Men in Black to begin with. I never really found them right. to be anything super special. So yeah. I really hope not. I, I don't. I don't think I ever went higher than a six. I don't think I did either. I, which to me, a six is mediocre. Yeah. It's just very middle of middle of the spectrum between one and ten. Right, right. I never did give my rating for three because I wasn't here when we recorded it. But yeah, oh, yeah. again, I don't think that was higher than a six either. So yeah, overall, Men in Black is pretty bland uh, when you ask Corbin and I. Oh yeah, I which I was disappointed with because I was expecting this series to be really great, really fun oh, sci-fi yeah. adventure. And what did we end up with? I remember we were just like going through these movies and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that's it. I remember we oh. were we were surprised when we when okay. we watched the first one. We're just like, yep. wait, wait, this is not what people painted this movie to be. Oh, no. The, the first movie has like a freaking 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, which is crazy to me. Yeah, I did give the first film a six. I gave the third film a six and I gave the second film a four. So the same exact rating. Yeah. I believe if I, remember, if I remember right, I think I gave the first a five, the second a four. And I know I gave the third a six. I did forget when we reviewed because I had already seen this film earlier in the year and then we had to review two for the podcast. And I put on letterbox when I wrote up my little thing. I said, watch this on 1.9 times speed for SSG review Works better as a TV episode. Not good. I like it a lot worse than the first watch. Definitely not <laughs> recommend. Classic. So I would guess if I had to rank the series from greatest to least, it would probably go the very original Men in Black. I still recommended that film. I think it's kind of one of those cultural zeitgeist movies. If you want to be a part of cinema and the conversation, and just so you can say you've seen Men in Black, just like I can't say I've ever seen Bambi yet. <laughs> um, I do have a I do have a running list currently movies everyone has seen except me. And uh, Bambi's on there and Saving Private Ryan's on there. So don't make fun of me. I'm trying <laughs> to fix the situation. Uh, but like I said, it would be Men in Black 1, then Men in Black 3, then Men in Black 2, and Men in Black International would be my least favorite. I think... F- I think for me, it would probably go three is the first, then the f- and then the first movie. Um, but those aren't too far apart. And then two, and then international. So three is first, first is second, second is third, <laughs> and fourth is and fourth is fourth. Sure, I could agree with that as well. I think for a while there, it was a toss up between one and three because I gave them the exact same ratings. Yeah. 
but I think I would probably have one win out just because it is that very original film with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones is barely in the third one, if you yeah. really think about it. I mean, he's like in the first five minutes and he's in the last five minutes. And it's, um, oh, it's Mr. Young stuff who is uh, plays Thanos. And yeah, Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So he's a... Uh, which I thought he did a pretty good job. Did you like him in the film? You thought he did okay? Yeah, I thought he did. I mean, voice acting wise, he did good. He definitely looked and acted a lot like Tommy Lee Jones. Um, yeah, I thought he did fine. Yeah, he did. Well, I guess on Letterboxd, I technically ranked number three and then number one. So, and then some, for some reason, I have the Tom Cruise movie Minority Report as number four on the list. Classic. <laughs> That belongs there, I have, right? I have no idea why that's there, but <laughs> hey, they're like both done by Steven Spielberg, so I guess that's fair. I can consider it a part of the series now. That's fair. So yeah, stay tuned, listeners. Next week, Minority Report. <laughs> nope, it's not going to happen. Just kidding. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on our review of Men in Black International. We do want to hear from you. So the question after the show is, is this a worthy entry in the Men in Black franchise? Did they really need to bring this franchise back to the big screen? We want to know what you have to say about that. So make sure to comment down below. Don't forget to comment on Facebook. You can tweet at us or send us an email and we'll be happy to read it and see what you think of the film. And we definitely want to talk about this with you. We love talking about movies. And we love talking about them with you. So don't be afraid to comment. It's not like we're never going to comment back on YouTube. We get comments very frequently. And I'm pretty active about replying over there and engaging with you all. And uh, you all seem to like that. And that seems to go pretty well. So make sure to keep up those engaging comments to keep the conversation rolling. And once again, don't forget to check the links in the description below. All kinds of wonderful links for you to check out our YouTube page, our Facebook page, our official website. All of that is down below. And if you are currently listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star review. It really does help us get noticed by other people. It helps us in the rankings. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe. You definitely don't want to miss out, especially because we will be coming back next week. We will be kicking our M. Night Shyamalan series back into gear and finishing that out for the rest of the year. So once again, you still have time to listen to all of our previous M. Night Shyamalan reviews, re-engage with our thoughts like that, seeing what we thought of his earlier works and we're getting into more of his modern works and probably what some people believe to be the beginning of the end for Shyamalan. I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen any of these movies here on out except for Avatar, The Last Airbender, and of course his brand new Split in Glass. But otherwise, I didn't see any of his films since then. Yeah, I think I know I've seen The Happening. Um, I'm excited. I have not seen Avatar, Lady in the Water. Um, and of course, I've seen Split, but I haven't seen Glass. So I've kind of seen things here and there. Yes. But you are definitely welcome listeners to journey on that with us. So 
Um, that's why we announced these in the description below. So you'll always be able to know what we are going to review next week. That gives you plenty of time to go ahead and find the film and watch it and then engage in the conversation with us. And if you do want to financially support us, that money doesn't just go to feeding our Taco Bell habits that goes towards putting uh, bandwidth and storage and enhancing the website and the podcast and YouTube page, making it more professional so you can have an even better experience here on Silver Screen Guide. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Sure thing. Listeners, we will see you next week with Lady in the Water. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. on uh, our website all of those links are in the description below we'll make it easy on you for you to find and while you're at it don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss next week's review of oh shoot i have no idea what it is because we're recording everything out of order oh <laughs> uh, let's see here this is men in black so next week would be oh yeah we're restarting we're getting uh Shaman back up and going again so it, i think it's lady in the water i believe i think that's yeah, our next one. okay you're right Probably should just restate that whole thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the reason why I ended up really, this movie being really sour for me is because this movie, especially because I'm not, oh dear, Mom, I can't talk right now. <laughs> um,